Welcome to the Prophetic Imagination Station podcast. I'm Crispin Mayfield, a therapist. I'm D.L. Mayfield, a writer and neighbor. And together we discuss evangelical artifacts from the 80s and 90s. This is season six, and we're calling it Shame Core Records. Welcome to the first episode of Shame Core Records. It's not actually the beginning. This is a prelude or prelude. We're not sure how to pronounce that. I think it's prelude, but I'm homeschooled, so <laughs> you shouldn't. I feel like me. I feel like if you pronounce it other than the way it looks, then you're probably doing it right. Prelude. Yeah. Because you keep saying prelude, and I'm I like, know. it doesn't sit well with me. Yeah. I mean, you were homeschooled. I was a missionary kid. Uh-huh. Like, who knows? We're the dream team. <laughs> right. Of pronunciation. <laughs> of life. <laughs> so today, we I got a chance to interview one of my favorite singers ever. Um, why are you shaking your head? I just, I want you to keep going, cause, but I have something to say. Okay. Okay. Uh, so there's a movie coming out this spring called Electric Jesus about a Christian band in the 80s that formed to make Jesus famous. And I got a chance to interview the director and also the person who wrote the music, who is Daniel Smith from Danielson, uh, who is like one of my favorite musicians ever. Yeah, I don't know if I ever told you this, but like a few years ago for your birthday, I actually like went to Daniel Smith's website because they sold like really weird one of a kind like art pieces and like felt hearts and stuff. And Mm. but I think this was like a few years like after they had done their website. So there's nothing for sale. And I emailed him and I was like, my husband just loves you so much. Like I'd love just to have like a handcrafted something for you to give to him. And then he never emailed me back. Oh. Did I ever tell you that? No, you didn't. Yeah. You see, never meet your heroes. Never meet your heroes. So, like Daniel Smith, if you're listening to this, I really wanted to get my husband a, <laughs> a funky gift, and you never even. But that's totally understandable. But Danielson is was like this band that I was never quite into. Like when they were around, I think I was slightly too young and too into MXPX. But then the lore of Danielson continued to grow um, to the point where I actually bought. So I was really into like literary magazines for a while. And The Believer is this one that I was really into. And they did an amazing interview with Daniel Smith. And I actually bought that copy of Believer magazine at Powell's here in Portland and have hung on to it for years. And it's just the coolest article. It's um, still sitting on our shelf. Yeah. And it's yeah. amazing. I mean, how would you explain Danielson? It was originally the Danielson family. Uh, I, it's a bunch of family members who do like they were the most theatrical of Christian bands, right? Mm-hmm. Like the the lore is when they would do the album about the fruits of the spirit, right? They had like a paper mache tree costume and stuff like that. Yeah, like they dressed up as fruits of the spirit. They would also dress up in like nurses' costumes. Yeah. There's, I think that was a different album, maybe. See, we're not experts on Danielson. No, we just like it a lot. We just really appreciate the creativity, and you love the falsetto. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that's the other piece of this is that Daniel uh, just sings in what he calls a screeching falsetto, huh? <laughs> uh, with lots of like kind of childhood sounding instruments, mostly. You know, we watched the documentary about Danielson. Did I know. I was this? thinking about that. Yeah. We watch it again. I know. There we'll, is... we'll link to it in the show notes. Uh-huh. I mean, th- I, there is so little true creativity allowed to flourish in Christian spaces. It's 
it's incredible. And so when somebody is able to do it, it's just mad respect, man. Mad yeah. respect. Yeah. And Daniel, just to to give you all a, an idea, I'm just going to play a song that we reference in the interview. And this song is about taking back the middle finger. So the idea that all of our body is redeemed by God. And basically he, he says the middle finger's got no stinger. And what's great about it is, so he plays the, you know, the song and then it's a really short song and about halfway through, like maybe a minute in, he just starts sort of like preaching and like screeching (laughs) at the top of his lungs about like, take back the middle finger, shake hands with the middle finger, get him up right now. And at one point he goes like, I said, get him up. And it's like, I just loved it so much when I was a teenager. It's brilliant. Yes. It really is. And confusing. And imagine, again, someone doing this on stage, wearing, like, dressed up as the fruit of the spirit. That they is Daniel. They were very into costumes. Um, yeah, I just I just love all of it. Yeah, and if you're like, who is this man and band that has been lurking in the shadows of, like, indie Christian music? Sufjan Stevens. Oh, thank you for just saying his last name because I didn't know who you're talking about. <laughs> Sufjan Stevens. You know, the other Sufjan, the Stevens yeah. one. Yeah. Mr. Stevens. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Now we're on the same track. Great. Do people call him Mr. Stevens? I don't know. We Where? met him once and he was wearing black leather pants. Anyways, keep going. We met- <laughs> That's a whole story. <laughs> Yeah, Sufjan started touring with them, and basically that was where he started his musical career was with Danielson family. Mm-hmm. Also, Daniel produced a Me Without You album, uh, which is really cool. The so, weirdest one, to be perfectly <laughs> honest. Well, what else would I you know, expect? I know. The one about circus animals, if that yeah, means anyone, exactly. anything to you. I mean, it just it fits. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, so I got a chance to talk with Daniel and Chris, uh, who wrote the movie, and really... Um, I enjoyed this movie for a lot of reasons, and it really just brought back those evangelical being a teenager vibes. One of the things that I talk about early in the interview that I was like, I feel like I should clarify this. I talk about rededication. Is that like a is that a universal evangelical thing to have like these like times of rededication? Yeah, like okay. a camp thing. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, you rededicate your life to Christ because they talk in the in the movie about you know, these different points of rededication. And I think every, you know, if you grew up in youth group, you know exactly what that's about. Yeah, this is like a movie that actually captures sort of like a youth group energy. And what I think is really interesting, in 2021, when people are leaving the church in droves, um, I just think it's a really interesting time to look at really intense religious youth. Wouldn't you say that's mm-hmm. what Electric Jesus is about? Yeah, totally. So it's not making fun of Christianity, um, but it's also like just letting its weirdness hang there is uh-huh. how I would describe it. Yeah. And it was super, I don't want to say triggering, but it brought me back in a way that was like too real. Um, <laughs> and uh, I think it's definitely that thread of like what what it's like to be a very earnest young Christian. Um, and I just, I feel compassion 
on myself more, I guess, after watching that mm-hmm. movie. It was a really great movie, but man, if if you're not a part of this culture... Yeah, Chris, when we were talking at another time, he said, like, I didn't have to make jokes. I just wrote what people said. Also, you know who's in this movie? Is Kevin from The Office. Mm-hmm. And he's, like, a good actor. It was, like, kind of mind-blowing mm-hmm. to me. Yeah. yeah, it's really great. And we're really excited. When it's out, we will let you all know. Right now, the soundtrack is out. Um, Daniel Smith wrote all the music. And to be clear, this is about like a metal band. Yes. So I was gonna say it is like if you're familiar with Striper, probably that's the the most famous like eighties hair metal. Which, this has ignited a love for Striper in me, I gotta be honest. <laughs> I ignited. Mean, yeah, I, I enjoy these songs. Oh They're, my gosh. Yeah. To hell with the devil. Uh-huh. Oh my gosh. I love it. Right. I loved all the songs, honestly. <laughs> yeah. It was great. Yeah. So you can totally get on Spotify, look up the Electric Jesus soundtrack. This is starting to feel like a paid promotion, which it isn't. Right. We've, we're getting nobody for this. So this is sort of like an interesting prelude to Shame Core. Right. Because it really sets it up. It's really about like Shame Core. I'm talking about this very specific like late 90s, early 2000s. When all of a sudden music didn't have to be about evangelism anymore. And this definitely was, this movie is about when music had to be about evangelism. It's so fascinating because, yeah, so this is like the period of time Electric Jesus is set about, you know, 10 years before hardcore became a big thing. And Mm -hmm. yeah, so the Keith Green, we're here to make Jesus famous. All Christian bands, you know, we're starting to try and be cool, but um, be very evangelistic. So, yeah, I think it sets the scene really well for um, how different hardcore music was. Right, yeah. And on that topic of evangelistic bands, uh-huh. um, we have a little piece after the interview uh, of talking to Danielle about her evangelistic band mm-hmm. when she was 13. So, so stay so, tuned for that. Yeah, stick around to hear about little band called Agnes United. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. I wish you could see her face. <laughs> well, I'll pull up some pictures. We'll throw some pictures in the That's a good idea. In the uh, show notes. Yeah, so I'm really excited you got to talk with these guys and um when Electric Jesus comes out, they're still looking for distribution, I believe. We're, we're going to do a watch party. We'll make it fun. But mm-hmm. I'm excited for this interview. Crispin, Daniel and I are going to win a Dove Award with the Electric Jesus soundtrack. It is, That's the goal. We wrote our goals and we started working on it. We wrote our goals on the big uh, idea, uh, the the vision board. Mm-hmm. And at the top and was, that was Dove at the Award. Top. It's Dove Award. Yeah, that's right. That's, we, the main, that's the main. That's the main motivation of this entire project. Yeah. Mm. Well, for me, if we do win, or we are at least nominated, we will go, and I get to get a Danielson. Uh, uniform because I want oh. to go as a Danielson member. Uh-huh. You're telling me, Daniel, you're 
you're saying that like your music hasn't like been winning dev awards all these years that's <laughs> not a one not a one poor guy not, not, not when you not when you sell into the dozens <laughs> oh yeah well, let me go ahead and introduce you two. I am here with director Chris White and musician Daniel Smith uh, talking about their movie that's coming out soon called Electric Jesus and the soundtrack, which is out now. Yeah, so if you know uh, the Tooth and Nail Records catalog well, then you'll know Daniel Smith from the Danielson family. I'm going to try to not fanboy too much because I've been a fan of your music for many years. And when I was in college, I uh, conscripted my siblings, my younger siblings, into forming a band where I sang in falsetto. We recorded like a couple of songs, but I was going to ask how many copycat Danielson bands are there in the world? Um, uh, Well, that's the first I've heard. Uh, uh, but I'm flat. I'm flattered. That's that's amazing. Did it work out? Did you guys become famous? Uh, no, we. Oh. I mean, we 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 didn't make it into the dozens. <laughs> so. You didn't even make it into the dozens. Wow. No. Okay, well. Yeah. Right. But you know, move on to other things. I just just put it up on. I I had to track it down and put it up on Bandcamp today on Twitter because people were asking for it so oh yeah and i love i love that that does kind of reduce down to the, the core of what what we are is uh family bands screeching falsetto you have to use the word screeching though <laughs> yeah. that's important uh-huh yeah I, I can see that for sure i think you weren't scree- i think you weren't screeching enough yeah like it was definitely like needed a little bit just a little bit higher pitch yeah did you yeah. guys have costumes no, that was the other thing we went wrong. Our band picture, uh, so we, we were missionaries. So the band picture that I put on MySpace was just our missionary postcard that said, <laughs> like, pray that's for the cool. Mayfields in China. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, here we are. Let's see, that was college. So 15 years later. Um, and... I'm a therapist, so I wanted to I want to talk about music stuff, but first I wanted to talk to you about shame in evangelical culture and kind of how that shows up. And maybe it's just my eyes kind of watching the movie, but I see it kind of lurking in these different scenes and throughout the movie. And I, I think like where you first sort of see that is um, in, in one of the first scenes, they're talking about rededication right the the protagonist and he says you know i got way off in middle school um <laughs> you know and and i really related to that because i remember going to church camp at the end of between sixth grade and seventh grade coming home like sobbing telling my parents like i've been using swear words at school like mm-hmm. can you ever like accept me like can you forgive me you know I just felt so convicted. You know, it's sort of, it's a joke in the movie, but it actually is also not a joke because that is, that's the story of so many of us. And it says so much about like a faith culture where a middle schooler can get off the path. Well, I, I, let me, I'll say this about, I had never seen a movie where people talked like we talked when I was growing up. And by we, I mean me and my youth group friends, because there was a, it was weird. There was definitely a blend of just, you know, young preteen and teenage jocularity between people. I mean, we joked and we had fun and we, you know, uh, we, we were aware of sex. We, we knew we weren't supposed to have it, but we were aware. Um, 
And I just, but there was also this, uh, you know, in that culture, in the, I grew up in a Southern Baptist church in South Carolina and, and, in a, you know, not don't dance kind of Southern Baptist. I mean, it was like, um, we, we could watch MTV and go to movies. Um, we just couldn't do anything in the movies that we saw people doing. Um, but there was like a, a sincerity, uh, in the language of how we talked about faith. You know, there's a, there's actually a song on the soundtrack called we just, and it's like a worship song. It's supposed to be the worst worship song ever, but all the lyrics say is we just over and over. And it kind of refers to the, those prayers, those, we just prayers, Mm -hmm. like, Lord, we just come to you, Lord. We, we just, (laughs) it's this diminisher that's in every intense prayer uh, session that I can remember. And I'm not sure why it was this weird diminisher where all I'm asking you for, God, is to, you know, uh-huh. help me at school this year, not get off the path, whatever. Um, but there was a lot of sincerity, but it was, I think your your key word here is shame. There there was definitely some shame. You know, there's a sequence in the movie um, that's kind of uncomfortable to watch where the main character's in love with this girl and he's doesn't, you know, he's like many of us were just kind of quiet and you know, he talks to her, but he's not declared himself or anything. And he, he, he's, he's seen her uh, kissing a boy, like at some show. And he just becomes enraged. He becomes brokenhearted and angry and sad. And there's a scene where he just, we would call it slut shaming. Um, he basically makes her feel incredible shame for kissing a boy, which I would argue is not a sin. <laughs> and I don't even think Eric would even think it's a sin. He's just brokenhearted, but he's in that world. So the thing that comes quickly to him is girls, you know, there's a, there's a gender dynamic going on here, but, but also the, like, you can't do stuff like you can't sin like that. It's bad to sin and you sin. And he throws that at her and pretty much forces her into a position where she has to apologize you know, we see her the next day say, I'm sorry, and I'm so grateful for godly men like you in my life. <laughs> you know, one of the more most ironic lines in the movie, maybe. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, that, that culture of, of shame uh, definitely permeated that, mm-hmm. um, the world I grew up in. Yeah, sure. that, that scene, I was like, I've never seen myself represented in a movie mm-hmm. so well mm-hmm. that if you couldn't be a jock or you couldn't be the lead singer or you couldn't be, you could be like the spiritual guy. Yeah. And that's kind of what yeah. we see him do in this movie is he, it, and it speaks to the, the uh, hierarchical, uh, you know, patriarchal nature of evangelicalism mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. like, I'm by correcting you. It's like this if you step back, you're like, this is like the mating ritual that's going on. Yeah, I'm yeah. correcting you yeah. to show that I'm like mm-hmm. a good husband material. Yeah. And she responds to it. Yeah. And yeah. they're, and they're children, they're children. Doing <laughs> right. this. Yeah. Um, even the, um, the idea of making Jesus famous and going out, why are, why are you, why do evangelicals send kids out to do that? You know, like mm-hmm. why aren't the kids back at home and all the adults going out uh, to rock and roll clubs and uh, trying to convert people? <laughs> why, don't we, why would you send the most vulnerable, the least mature people, the, mm-hmm. the least developed in their faith people right up to the gates of hell? Mm-hmm. You know, you know, it's in that culture very much at the time was just using things that are already in existence that Satan owns 
and try to just twist it and make it Christian and just use use those same formulas and hopefully, uh, you know, win people to heaven. Just but using the existing structures of, you know, whatever kids playing in a club, everybody else is just having fun. But this band, they they have they're there to do a job, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. <laughs> Daniel, so I cheated, um, and I listened to your uh, interview with the on the Black Sheep podcast. You know, on that topic of rededication and staying on the path, you talked about how you would continually go down front to these like altar calls at church. Yeah. Um, and I love that part about like your dad told you to like stop doing that. Am I yeah, getting that did. right? Yeah, he said stop doing that. It, it worked the first time. Yeah. <laughs> Reflecting on that now, like what was that impulse to like go down front each time? Well, it was it was um, it was Sunday school. Right. So it's it's all kids and whoever the you know, the, the leader of that of that service whoever that was had some bad theology because they were teaching that every, like you're responsible for anything happened from the last time you came down front. And if you die, right. Then, then mm-hmm. there's some sins that you will be accountable for. So you really should just to be safe. You should just come down every, every week and uh, clean, you know, clean it up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Gets a good so, turnout. <laughs> well, it, it makes kids really scared, which is a good way to control them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> at least for a while <laughs> well it's also out. what's you know when they when they do those altar calls a lot they would use uh they would say every head bowed every eye closed nobody mm-hmm. looking around if you feel like god wants to do something in your life tonight raise your hand you know and and um so i was head bowed eyes closed every time not looking around but i remember one time looking around and the and the youth pastor whoever evangelist would be saying like Oh yes, I see that hand. Bless you. I see that hand. Yeah, and I was looking around. There were no hands. Mm. <laughs> it was a trick <laughs> to make us like. So, well, I guess there's a bunch of hands up, so I can go ahead and put my hand up now. Right. And you're like the only guy holding out your hand up, you know. But it was a. But that's the shame part of it, right? You're not looking around. Nobody will see. If you mm-hmm. have sinned, please raise your hand. Mm-hmm. You know. I can't believe you, Pete. <laughs> I can't. I, was, I, I confess that later. That's why I went down front. I peeped you be, when you said, "Don't look around." <laughs> well, and it brings up this this piece about like that that you address in the movie because uh, up until a certain, they're mostly playing in churches, right? Right. And uh, you know, it kind of brings up this question: To what extent can you be an evangelistic band if you're just playing churches? Actually, I'd be curious to get kind of both your perspective on this because you have had your head in this world. In the 80s and 90s, there was so many evangelistic bands. And then the shift took place. And now, like, I don't know of any, but it's all like, you know, in terms of kind of like Christian music, like when we think, you know, on the more like CCM spectrum, uh, it's mostly worship. And I wonder if that's because people are like, well, this like turns out like all the proclaiming the gospel was just to like other church kids we may as well worship i don't know if you have like a different perspective on that well it didn't i mean i'll i'll take this first um it i don't think that worked a lot with me you know in, in you know middle class suburbia everybody went to church somewhere for the most part uh bringing a, a friend to church uh wasn't awkward because they didn't know about jesus or didn't know about what church was 
I mean, we, I grew up in a, in a, just a culture that was immersed in, even if it's not evangelicalism, people knew about God and Jesus and that sort of thing. In the movie, they say like, we got to make Jesus famous. Yeah. Which is <laughs> ridiculous. <laughs> How much? Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's one of the great lines in the movie that she says to him, uh, right. he's already famous. Um, no, but the, I have seen, it seemed to me that there is a, a, a place where that kind of dramatic, um, you know, um, uh, conversion can happen in the context of hard rock and music. I mean, it's very emotional. Any kind of rock and roll show is very emotional. Um, and so I, I think maybe more the, the more emotional, the more edgy, the more dangerous even. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, I, I kind of think that probably some people did get saved at res band shows, um, you know, or, or even striper shows you know, where it was just a little harder and you, you were on a side when you walked in the door and maybe being confronted like that was part of the experience of, hmm. you know, but, you know, yeah, you know, we, we would be more apt to go forward in, in a high school, at least if there was like a cute college girl that was one of the counselors, you know, that maybe would counsel you, you know, if you went down. So it was, you know, there weren't high stakes, it didn't feel like, but maybe if you are in a dangerous place in your life and you're dealing with really hard things, then that idea of a conversion through rock music mm-hmm. is more valid. I think, uh, you know, and, and the, the history of, of kind of Christian music comes out of, you know, at least as we know it now, comes out of 70s hippie rock and roll, a lot of, lot of you know, a lot of hippies that found Jesus and already love their, you know, Neil Young records and their Rolling Stones records. Uh, and then now, but now their pastors are telling them to cut their hair and to stop listening to, you know, that, that kind of music. So they start playing their own music. And that's why I like a lot of the, the Jesus music from the seventies. You know, these are, and a lot of these, they're just kids they are like teenagers mm-hmm. who just, okay, well, we'll start our own band. And they're really naive and sweet. And they, you know, have these, these kind of uh, uh, surreal biblical lyrics. Uh, they're probably still high from the past couple of years. So maybe that was helping, but they're, you know, they're sober now and they're, they're really trying to follow God, which is wonderful. And at the same time, they love that. You know, once you, like for me, I, I heard the Beatles when I was five, you can't go back from that. You can't, you know, what, once you experience really good music, you're going to insist on it. If you love music, of course. Mm-hmm. And and that's why I love a lot of the seventies still, mm-hmm. you know, the Jesus hippie stuff. Uh, and, and, and then it, you know, of course in the eighties it had got more hard rock and, and, and uh, you know, eighties influenced pop music and, and all that was great too. I do think that's when, you know, it became an industry. And then that's the question. What, what was the intention of that music? Uh, I think, you know, pastors at least that were telling, you know, a, parents that you know this music is is evangelical so your kids should just listen to this mm-hmm. and i remember in the 80s you know kids would get money from their parents to go to the christian bookstore and they could buy whatever they wanted mm-hmm. but you can't go to sam goody and buy anything you want it better be you know, there's probably nothing there you're allowed to buy mm-hmm. so that that really supported an industry that was fine but, but i like the question of what was the intention especially if you go to those shows it's it's mostly Christian kids who like 
you know, bring a friend is one of those those mm-hmm. church events. Bring a friend and maybe they'll they'll find God, which is all fine. But I, I do think uh, it, and maybe it's, it probably started this way. But anything that's rooted in some suspicion and fear and and and, uh, you know, giving Satan credit for all these great <laughs> all these great bands out there is flawed. Like the, the core of it is flawed if there's fear in in that like don't listen to that listen to the christian version recommended if you like uh whatever you'll you'll love this new band that is not close to as good and could never make it in the mainstream <laughs> i used to you know, they actually would have posters like that up at the christian bookstore where they sold christian oh, yeah. music yeah and, and that's how i finally got taste in music because i would like a christian band but i'd do it backwards <laughs> So, so it's like, if you like this band, you may like REM. And I'm like, who's REM? I got to find them. Or yeah. I think that's how I found Depeche Mode, you know, bands like that, because there was a Christian version, mm-hmm. but I would go backwards with it. Right. Yeah. I, in a similar way, Goatee Hook was this uh, Christian punk band on Tooth and Nail mm-hmm. in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, and they did a cover album. And that was the first time that I heard all these classic oh, yeah. songs. But in my mind, the original is by Goatee Hook. And, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then you you hear the cars or you hear like whoever you know and, and it really hits on like you're really hitting on this idea of you know this music and youth it really is tangled together and i i think that's that's really true throughout like evangelicals relationship with rock and roll music yeah and some people some people will slam christian music and say it's bad and I, I, you know, I, I give you that. Uh, but most pop music is bad. Mm-hmm. You know, most of it's bad. Mm-hmm. I don't think Christian had any disproportion, disproportionately more bad music than just anybody. But it didn't matter if Christian music's good because I'm not listening to it for music. I'm, you know, when you're a teenager, you're trying to create identity, you're trying to latch onto something. Mm-hmm. And if there were people that were singing about Jesus, and I have been at camp and I've rededicated my life or I'm trying to get more focused on my spiritual growth and there's a cool band that's talking about Jesus. I mean, I know that, you know, pouring over the Joshua Tree lyrics and even more, you know, other U2 lyrics mm-hmm. as a teenager was profound. I mean, that was maybe more effective than reading my Bible, mm-hmm. you know, because I was, ex- I was learning about art and poetry and expression mm-hmm. and knowing that the the guy that was pinning all this stuff was wrestling with his own faith. That that was pretty formative. So it, it's a it's fortunate that the music was good. But um, even if U2 wasn't good, I would still be into that, f- feeling the identity with that guy that was in that band. Yeah, it, it, I'm, I'm going back to the late 80s in my mind right now. And, and you know, when you're a teenager and you're figuring out who you are, uh, especially – well, I only know my experience, but growing up in evangelical culture in the East Coast of the U.S. in the 80s, uh, and uh, shame, like you said, is definitely an, an, an important ingredient in uh, in some of the culture, not, you know, mm-hmm. of course, uh, but but especially in youth group culture, where there, where you have these, these young adults trying to corral these wild children and make sure they don't they don't they don't fall off right so you you want to give them the things they like you want to give them you know some movies some rock and roll and and but but keep it keep it safe make sure uh you're not getting complaints from their parents you know mm-hmm. so there is that kind of uh that kind of thing there but what i want to get is 
for me, I, I mean, I went to public school and it it was so important to me that kids in school knew who you two was <laughs> like that meant the world to me that Sunday Bloody Sunday was on rock radio. And here's a band that I can finally relate to mm-hmm. or, or con- uh, connect with others. That's what I mean. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. and, and be proud of. And, 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 you know, even if only three of three out of four were Christians, that was good enough for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Even though for some it was, that was, that meant they were not a Christian band. They didn't listen right. to the baseline. Because Adam wasn't a Christian. That's right. Well, that, <laughs> the bass player in U2 is superfluous. Anybody can play bass right. for U2. Well, those yeah. bass lines were inspired by Satan. Yeah. <laughs> it's There's or. a spiritual it's battle or. within the song itself. Satan That's in the right. form of Daniel Lenoir. He was, he was channeling. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but no, but, 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 but I, and probably because I've always dreamed of making my own music and all that, but I, I wanted I respected music that that survived out in the mainstream, and and that brings up the joke we used to have when Danielson first came out is all the Christian magazines because there were at the time Christian music magazines uh, there were no bad reviews <laughs> they, would, right. they would they would just not review something <laughs> they would just ignore it but there, it was all positive reviews of anything they covered so so there's no critique. It's not treat. It's not right. thought about in, mm-hmm. as an art form as something like, oh, well, these these artists. Have, I mean, it 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 was, of course, there were a lot of great artists. I'm not saying that, but kind of mainstream culture, at least. Uh, yeah, everybody's although, everybody's yeah. art gets a mag a magnet on the refrigerator, right? Everything yeah, gets it, up there. Yeah. Yeah. It has it, ha- it has a greater function, and and it's mm-hmm. it's called Jesus. You know, yeah, it's like right, right, it, it, which is really uh, embarrassing. <laughs> Yeah, right. One thing that the movie really made me think about was this. I was thinking about, you know, being a teenager, you're dealing with school, you're dealing with relationships with your parents and your friends and romantic relationships. And then you have to, and you're trying to figure out your identity and you have to manage this whole God thing too. So making this movie and just spending so much time, you know, kind of following these teenagers or writing these teenagers. I wonder what you learned about the internal world of people that grew up in this setting. You know, my journey of authoring and in that process for me, you know, I think there's so much emphasis placed on where are you in your spiritual walk and journey? Where are you with God? What are you doing for God? Uh, what are you doing to share the gospel? I mean, there's a lot of this, right? Pointing at me at, at, a, at an age when I guess we're, we, we like that. We like when everybody's looking at us and, mm. and I mean, really making the film was, it was kind of a slow dawning revelation, re- revelation that all those people in my youth group and all the heathens at school, are, you know, like that whole, there were so many stories happening around And to come out of my teenage, you know, my adolescence thinking it was all about me, you know, um, or, you know, my sister was living a story. My parents were having a story. And I, I think that the huge responsibility placed on me as a evangelical teenager, as a boy, as a leader, as, um, you know, someone, somebody was very important to this youth group and, my witness was important. I think that made me um, miss a lot of things happening around me. 
and 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 that that's all of us we 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 all are are that but making the movie especially was just um this thing that was supposed to be, you know, on some level, me reflecting on my teenage youth group years was like, oh, yeah, you weren't the star of the story, mm-hmm. you know. So that was that was pretty big. Hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It, and that is it, that is generally the teenage brain, right? You're just, mm-hmm. you know, you're developing and you're just all self-consumed uh, mm-hmm. and everything's so everything's so um, uh, intense, right? Everything's so important and intense and uh 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 yeah it's just you're you're in your own world and um i was that way and my teenagers are that way right now (laughs) you know (laughs) and and what if what if a youth minister said hey chris it's not all about you yeah you're you're probably gonna you know go out and try to save people however you want to do it you're gonna fail who wants who wants uh eternity advice from a 15 year old (laughs) maybe another maybe a 14 year old i don't know (laughs) <laughs> um, yeah, can you, can you imagine if a youth if a youth <laughs> leader said, "Chris, just relax, have fun." Yeah, okay? right. Here, have a, have, have a beer. Have a beer. Come over. <laughs> just relax, okay? God's in control. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Just and go play some ping pong. You know. <laughs> Even as as you say that, though, I'm like, oh man, I wish someone had told me that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, wouldn't that have been nice. Or just yeah. you can listen to Def Leppard. You're not going to like it in about 10, you know, five to 10 years. Yeah. But listen to it. Yeah. Yeah. It's music for your age right now because it's not going to last long. I really appreciated the like youth group dynamic, something that really stood out to me. And perhaps this. It was just uh, this. I don't know if you're familiar with the the new Semlar album called Preacher's Kid, but she has a right. a song called uh, Youth Group, and it starts off talking about lock-ins. And my wife and I listened to that album the morning after we watched your movie, and I was like, "This is just like perfect." <laughs> and uh, there's a scene in the movie where they play at a roller skating rink, and then they then they stay there for the night. And it's not a lock-in, but it has, it reminded me so much Mm -hmm. of that same energy. Um, And just, you know, it gets to 3 a.m. Some kids are trying to sleep, like everybody's getting on each other's nerves. And it reminded me of that, uh, Uh that tension sometimes that would come up at youth group. And it it actually reminded me that I was like, well, I got to kind of tell this story so, Daniel, you have this old song called Between the Lines of the Scout Sign yeah. uh, about reclaiming the middle finger. Middle finger got no stinger. <laughs> yeah, right. And so we would play that at youth group. Like, yeah. we would, like, you yeah. know, like, someone would, like, bring a CD and, like, put it in. And we're all, like, flipping each other off. Right. And, of course, our youth leaders are like, stop it, stop, you know? And we're just, like, running around. Yeah. And then it gets kind of aggressive. Like, you know, people are, like, starting to wrestle. And um, <laughs> and I think, like, the energy of, oh, yeah. uh, like, every youth group has had that experience of, like, all, especially all that, like, energy mm-hmm. of, like, 
you know, of the of the tension and pushing against things and the youth leaders that are like trying to let things roll off their back, but really like they're really annoyed. I think that's that's fantastic. I'd love to see that music video for that song with it's just like youth group kids flipping each other off and wrestling and fighting. It's just a it's a mosh pit of of God. Right. I love it. Yeah. That, right. that, that song got Let's a band from Christian bookstore. <laughs> did it? It did. Yeah, I mean, I, I believe it. <laughs> it's it's fantastic song. All, all of your body is redeemed except for your middle finger. Right. <laughs> yeah. That that song, in a way, sort of like points to where where the movie ends up. And I don't want to like give away too much, but one of the things that you talk about is like. What if music is for music's sake, which is what we've been kind of talking about along the way. And I was curious, Daniel, I I wanted to ask you, because I think on the surface, if people listen to your music or, you know, saw a video of you dressing up as the fruit of the spirit, it would be pretty easy to, to read into that. Like you have this like evangelistic intention or this kind of churchy theological intention. And I wondered for you in your career, like, did you start out making music for music's sake? Oh yeah, I mean, the the the, the passion of wanting to write great music that is interesting and original and exciting is is what drives me from the has from the beginning, still does. Uh, and then when it comes to thinking about uh, lyrics and. Yeah. So the but the intent, you know, lyrically, the intention is just to write what I'm thinking about. So sometimes, a lot of times, it's going to be, uh, the, you know, trying to trying to speak about a a, a, a spiritual journey, and uh, there's there's never there's never any evangelizing. I'm not I'm not trying to sell anything. It's it's really what I would what I imagine anybody writing anything is hopefully they're coming from a place of trying to be personal and transparent and 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 just speak about whatever you know process of the day they're going through and so that's where these words come from a lot of times they tend to be you know be thinking about spiritual ideas combined with just everyday life because that's that's what i think about so that's and that's what where it's going to come out obviously uh the middle fit uh, Middle finger song uh, between the lines of the scout signs was uh, uh, an absurd concept that was supposed to be absurd and supposed to be so silly and so dumb that people would say, "Of course, our, our entire body is redeemed." Um, so that was just a, uh, and it's actually not a very great song either. I wish I had spent more time on the music, but uh, it, it, that that was just a, that was a concept song. <laughs> I like it, so I I wouldn't change it. I sure I'm yelling a lot. I'm preaching at the end there. I I mean that's how how I can imagine this video playing out. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Is you, you know you it's it's a youth group and you get up on stage and you're just preaching about about the middle finger. Uh, yeah, fun fact about that. At Cornerstone, we were asked to not, uh, because during that, my sisters would do a ballet dance with their middle <laughs> fingers up. Uh, it, was, it was very graceful. 
<laughs> uh, we were asked to not do that because there was press there from, uh, you know, mainstream press was there covering the festival. And they didn't want shots of my sister in, in nurses' uniforms doing the ballet with middle fingers up. <laughs> yeah, of course you did. I know you did. <laughs> uh, I have one last question. What was, like, the most important aspect of this culture and period that you wanted to come through? I think that the whole point of art is uh, empathy. I think it's a, it's a pursuit of empathy. And, and so the, the first, the biggest thing was I want, I want to be kind to these people. I love these people. They are me. They are my friends. They're you guys. They are, uh, your wives. They are. They are many of us who grew up in evangelicalism, and and many of us who, though we've deconstructed parts of our faith, perhaps we. Uh, I would still, you know, I still identify myself as a Christian. So I look back on that, and I want to be uh, kind but wise with them. Um, but also, like, I just want to. <laughs> Christian characters in movies especially are either stupid or sinister or superheroes. Like the Christian movies make them out to be superheroes. And, and I just wanted them to be, <laughs> I just wanted them to be uh, normal in their weird way. But I do want to mm -hmm. pursue empathy with those people. And, and that took some, that took some moments, you know, cause I'm, I'm, uh, I have my own shame about that time. <laughs> and, um, but but I also, you know, I think it's I think it's positive maybe to be able to look back and forgive yourself, cut yourself some slack for some stuff. Um, not let yourself off the hook necessarily, but, you know, um, the Christianity I believe in is about redemption and restoration. And um, so, you know, part of this is just forgiving young Chris, um, but but also, you know you know slapping him around a little maybe <laughs> thank you both for taking some time to talk the soundtrack is out now and then movie will be releasing this spring we're um i i really can't wait to tell you a release date for the movie and everybody knows with like covid and theaters now finally starting to open up mm -hmm. and just different things there's all sorts of moving parts and pieces to a film release it, we will we will make that information available very soon um, but right now we, we, we kind of just want to let people fall in love with this music. And, and, yeah. and again, we didn't mention this, but Daniel and I always thought of the record as something that could stand alone from the movie. So if nobody ever sees the film, mm. we still want it to be a great record. And I think we've done that. I think one to 21 and it's quite a journey. It's a lot of fun, great for a drive, but yeah, you, yeah, check it out and listen to those songs. And I promise when you walk in the movie, yeah kind of enter into the world with um, some uh, mm -hmm. a, a different level of appreciation when you hear the songs. Yeah. Out on joyful noise right now. Yeah. Well, and we'll, we'll keep uh, people updated as well. Um, as it gets closer to so. So many of these bands started out as an evangelistic endeavor 
I figured we could take a moment to hear about the story of a band called Agnes United, a group from humble beginnings that would go on to travel all over Northern California. Oh my gosh, the big time, the big time of Northern California. Right. So this was your pop punk band. Yeah, it's funny. I've like told this story a bunch, but it's really weird when you step back and think about it. And you started it. Yeah. So when I was 13, my family and I lived in Auburn, California, which is in Northern California, like 45 minutes away from Sacramento. And I could walk to this family Christian store, which was next to our grocery store. And I remember I would like go in there and just look at the sale stuff. And for some reason, I got a CD of Teenage Politics by MXPX. It was like the first like Christian punk I ever heard. And maybe it was just one song on like a cassette tape sampler, honestly. I think I think the song Teenage Politics was on there. And it just, I was like, I love this. I love this music so much. I remember hearing Blindside and just feeling like, oh my gosh, you know, I never heard anything like that. And I just got really into Christian punk. And I was 13. And I was like, you know what? I... I had been learning the bass for a little bit. I decided I want to learn the bass even more and start a punk band because I learned bass to be like in the worship band. But I was like, hey, I'm already like doing the worship thing. Why not just like start a punk band with some people in youth group and we could, uh, you know, sing about Jesus and convert people to Christianity. <laughs> and that was the goal, right? Yes. And it's funny because looking back, it's just like I was 13 and I got a bunch of 15 and 16 year olds to be in a band with me. Like they were all 15 or 16. Which right. Well, like who is the lead singer? My sister, Lindsay. So my sister, Lindsay, is like was like the hot girl in youth group and like number one student at our private Christian school, which I actually didn't go to. I don't know why I said our. I refused to go to this private Christian school because I was nothing like my sister did not want to be compared to her. So I just homeschooled my by myself at home um i homeschooled myself i did uh, i put myself through high school at home <laughs> um but yeah so my sister was the lead singer and i told her like you'll you can just be like christian gwen stefani she's like okay i'm in and so she was and then these two guys jeremy and lee uh from youth group lee was a drummer and jeremy was the guitarist and jeremy was the only person who was also into punk but he he hated like christian punk he was really into, like granted and no effects and i was like no Oh, really? I don't listen to secular things. But we let Jeremy write one song, and the way he sang it, he was just trying to be rancid. It was terrible. Because he just, like, yelled it? Is that what you mean? Well, it's more like a blah, 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 blah. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I remember the line he wrote, take it away, I don't need it no more. Like about sin or something. Of course. Yeah. yeah. Makes sense. It was terrible. And you guys, you did like a little mini tour. Yeah, there was a time in the 90s. It was a magical, mystical time when every youth group had a latte machine and every church wanted to have like a coffee house ministry, right? Mm-hmm. I guess we were being like all weird and slightly postmodern, but we didn't know it. And so um, like... My- you were like the emerging church before it was emerging. Yes. Yes. I mean, totally. So, like, my parents, my dad was a pastor in Northern California. They ended up converting, you know, the church where we met was into this little strip mall. And they converted it to this little venue called the Fishbowl on Friday and Saturday nights. And we played there, of course. And then we toured other little venues. I mean, we played in some, like, amphitheaters and weird stuff, campgrounds with gospel groups. Yeah, I mean, it was... 
It was wild. But it was basically just a bunch of us all going around to each other's churches and playing shows. Mm -hmm. That's what a lot of this was, was like just all the coffee shop, the church coffee shops. And and then there was a newspaper article written. Yeah, at one point we got interviewed by the local newspaper. I think they were very fixated on the small 13-year-old girl who was wearing a dog chain necklace and, you know, her mom hovering by at all times. And I remember I was just so proud because in the paper, they quoted me as saying, Christians can be punk rockers too. And I was like, oh my gosh, you guys, I'm basically a missionary. Like I basically just like proclaimed the gospel to the world. And I was so proud and it was amazing. But it's funny. I'm like, I was not that great at the bass. And but I would just boss everybody around and be like, make the lyrics more Christian. Like, stop goofing around, Jeremy. And, you know, like, <laughs> I was like 100% the moral center and also like the ambitious one, which is fascinating. Like, looking back on it, <laughs> it's because I had a goal. The right. goal is to reach people for Christ. So I loved all these Christian shows because there was so much energy of like, first of all, there's the energy of like repressed Christian youth mm-hmm. being slightly, like letting it out slightly. Right. So there's that. But then for me, there's that added element of like, oh my gosh, we're not just like moshing and dancing and screaming and like being normal teenagers. Like we're doing this for God. And there could be people here who don't know about God. It was like a big, it was like a big thing for me. So you've talked about like being a woman in the church. Mm -hmm. There aren't a lot of options. One of them is to be a missionary. Mm -hmm. And for you being 13, it was to put together a punk band. Again, like how ballsy is this? I didn't know. First of all, I didn't listen to any, none of the bands I listened to had women in them. Mm -hmm. Right. And then when we played all these shows everywhere, like there's no girls in these shows, like Ever. Like, hardly even the lead singer, which my sister was. Mm-hmm. And, like, to have a girl, well, first of all, like a middle school girl <laughs> bass player, you know what I mean? Like, that was kind of weird. And people definitely treated me like a little kid in the room, but also sort of like a little bit of respect, you know what I mean? A little yeah. bit of respect. So, I think I was just so outside of the norm, I didn't even consider that I wasn't represented at some point. Although mm. there's all this like stuff now looking back, I'm like, oh my gosh, people th- totally thought I was a little lesbian because I cut my hair. I only wore like boy clothes and totally modeled my life after like skater boy fashion. Um, but I think I was just doing that because I like these punk rockers. I wanted to be like them. And there's literally no girls in that scene. So I dress like a boy. So how did it end? Oh my gosh. It was so tragic and so dramatic. Crispin. Wait, is this why you love the movie, That Thing You Do? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Me and my drummer, Lee, we would, uh, we watched that movie like almost every night one summer when we were in the band together. Anyways, no. My sister Lindsay went to college. Oh. So. Yeah, and then I, I, and then I moved to Oregon. Mm-hmm. So the combo of right. the two. By the time I moved to Oregon, I was like, I'm over punk, and like, if I use my gifts, I will use them for the worship team. And then I ended up like hating worship team and always ratting out all the people on the team who smoked weed because I'm a narc. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. You know I am. I too. <laughs> This has been an episode of the Prophetic Imagination Station. You can follow us on Twitter or Instagram, where DL is often talking about weird bits of Christian media. Find us on the web as well. Also, we love getting emails from listeners. You can find the links to our website, handles, and email in the description of the podcast episode. 
Support the show on Patreon and get monthly extra episodes on evangelical culture for as little as $1.50 a month. DL's book, Myth of the American Dream, is available anywhere you get your books. And lastly, artwork for this season was designed by Zach Bard and theme music by Forrest Johnson. Join us next week as we start the deep dive into Christian hardcore and what it tells us about the emotional experience of growing up evangelical, even if you never listen to the genre itself. Thanks for listening.